One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello, my name is Gary Mansfield. And this is the Ministry of Arts podcast, where each week I'll be speaking to a different artist. Now let's begin by bagging these bongos. Hello and welcome to episode 155 of the Ministry of Arts podcast. And firstly, as ever, to our glorious Patreon supporters, without whom we would not be able to produce this podcast. If you want to support us or able to support us, just go over to the Ministry of Arts Instagram profile. You'll find a drop down box which will direct you straight to Patreon, which is pretty much the price of a cup of coffee. And 100% of the money we receive goes back into this podcast. But if not, that's fine, because this content is free for everyone. Well, on this week's episode, I'm going to take you to meet Pauline Amos. Although I'd known of Pauline's work for some time, I'd not seen any in person up until earlier this year, when we both appeared in Art in the Age of Now at Fulham Town Hall, where she collaborated with MC Lamas to create some very spontaneous paintings. In this episode, Pauline speaks of growing up in working-class Liverpool and then her move down to Devon to complete her degree and PhD and how both living in the city and the country have very much influenced her practice. So please, come and join me over Zoom as I spoke to Pauline Amos. I haven't been painting or making work today. I was just going through old stuff because I'm changing the studio around a bit. And I was just going through really old archived work, you know, work that's like 25 years old, 20 years old, 30 years old. Am I that old? Well, I am, but you know what I mean? And, um, And you forget what you've done. You know, I think all artists were prolific and you forget. And when you start looking, you go, God, I'd forgotten I'd done so much. Yeah. Oh, I'd forgotten I'd done that. And some of that I look at and go, did I do that? You, you know? Yeah, yeah. But what I think is really interesting as well, and I used to think it took about four or five years to get this right, but sometimes I think it takes longer. You've made some work 
and you might not understand it at the time yeah you might not have a reason for it it's just something that's happening it wants to happen and yeah. you are doing this work and it might be five ten fifteen years later you look at it and go oh i get it that's what it I means. Know. Yeah. yeah. Well, I say that it's as if it's your subconscious, which is telling you to create the work. And then several years down the line, you sort of catch up with your own idea later on. It becomes relevant and prevalent to what's, what's happening at the moment. Yeah. And, and as with everything, not I'm not saying art is therapy or anything. As with everything, though, it reflects back to you and helps you understand yourself more yeah. and understand the world, the universe and everything else more. I read somewhere, and I, I can't remember, um, Leonardo sometimes wrote into a drawing or something, tell me, yeah. tell me. Yeah. Because you are putting onto the canvas or page something that reflects back to you. Even though it's coming through you and coming from you, it will tell you something mm. that you didn't understand about yourself or about the world. And so when you're looking at paintings that you don't think of, tell me and it might not be right now yeah. it might be in 20 30 40 years time you go oh yeah now i get it now i understand a bit more about myself or this whole place that we're in <laughs> you know yeah well i don't know if you know of my journey my story but i started mine in prison so yeah. i had so when i got into art i got so many i had so many ideas where i was just learning this conceptual art that that was the route that i to chose to go down um and i had so many ideas i was just writing them down writing them down some of them i was semi-creating because i didn't have the tools i wasn't allowed the tools to to make the artwork and it's only been over the last year or so that i've gone back to those quite naive notebooks but mm. there is some proper gems in there that are still relevant to the way i think today and, and i'm a completely different person now to what i was then but they feel a bit more raw, you know. They they just need reshaping and shaving oh. off the edges, if you know what I mean. And how long ago was that? When, um, the, the well, when I discovered art was 90, 97, 98. Yeah, yeah. It's funny, isn't it? It can take a long time for you to... You know, that's all part of the process, though. The yeah. process is small on a daily basis or on a weekly but then also on a decade you know it's yeah. a cyclic process sometimes and you know when you know what your process is whether it's you write in a notebook and you might pick it up in 10 years or a year or whatever um you can apply that process to whatever you're doing you know the conceptual or your mark on the page or whatever uh, and it's all in a curiosity and investigation isn't it definitely you know, definitely I love uh, your notebooks. I, I love artists' notebooks. I think they're so important. Um, that people are thinking on the page. And when you look at an artist's notebooks, it's, they're wonderful things. They're like yeah. little treasure boxes, aren't they? Little boxes of, it's like opening granny's biscuit box full of <laughs> memories, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, you know, definitely. Oh, look at that. No, look at that. I mean, I've got stacks of notebooks and sketchbooks from, and little notebooks I had when I was like in my teens or even 10 years old, I kept everything. And um, yeah, it's like, yeah, it's like granny's biscuit box. Yeah, isn't it? Isn't definitely. It? Even though it's your, it's, it's art, your work, the work, um, it's, it's a memoir. Yeah, well, uh, when I looked at mine, mine was quite, it was quite a strange set of 
notebooks because uh, the first book would be a note of just scrambled ideas, the first, first thing that came into my mind, and then a short explanation of it. And then if I thought we had any credence, I would put it from a notebook into a sketchbook and then do a few sketches. And then I had a third book where all of these um, ones that have sort of reached the semi-final, if you like, um, I'd sort of um, look at them and construct them in my mind and then put them into this final book that were the ideas to be made. And mm. it was the first and second books that I went back and had a look at, you know. Mm -hmm. Which which is the the nuggets of the ideas started. Yeah, yeah. Nuggets of the ideas. Well, because I've got a different mindset now and I know how to construct an idea from theory to to finished mm -hmm. artwork, even in my mind. Whereas at the time, I just wanted to show or tell the world everything about me and the subject that I wanted to tell them about, you know. Whereas yeah. now I understand that that's not the way to do it. Yes, yeah, but yeah. But I feel that the energy is still in that first sketchbook you know yeah 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 it's yeah they're exciting those notebooks aren't they in sketchbooks and stuff definitely like that. you know i like that as i was saying today i was going through all this archive stuff i've got I've got boxes of things and notebooks and I, you know i could spend hours and it's things that i've written but yeah. it's because it's like decades ago or whenever it's um i'm reading it's like i'm it's like you said you're a different mindset a different person yeah and reading someone else's world, you know, or Definitely. someone else's worldview. Yeah. You know, from that perspective. And I was like, oh God, she was such a depressed girl. You know, <laughs> oh my God. How did she get this far? Yeah, I know. I know. God, I tell you how, I guess it's just damned bloody mindedness and perseverance. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Don't give up on perseverance and keep your head down, isn't it? That I mean, you just got to keep working, working, working. <clears throat> excuse me <clears throat> and I was saying to someone it's not just about <clears throat> excuse me it's not just about when you're an artist it's not just what you earn in pound shillings and pence that's that's like the easy side of it yeah, in a way yeah. it's also what you earn in the development of your life and everything but it's also what you earn in your the connections you make and the people you meet and um, you know, I've, I've been invited to do shows all over the place and Los Angeles, everywhere. And that is part of the, it sounds earning power or not, you know, you're not doing it for that, but the, you earn from your work in so many ways. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're, you're growing, you're developing yourself. It never lets you down as long as you keep working. A friend of mine who's a great composer, uh, he's about 80 now, guy called Paz and he'd say to me look after the work and the work will look after you yeah and it's true you know yeah. keep coming back he'll never let you down and you know if you have the most lost day or the most miserable time of life or everything just pick up some page and paper and write uh, it will be there again yeah you might leave it for a while it's always there it won't let you down no I agree yeah and and it's not as I said it's not just about what's in the bank it just the, the what the value of being an artist and your artwork and your work the value of that is so much more than mm. just a checkbook it really is you can't you know it's fathoms of depth of life and quality of life and understanding the world and seeing things where people don't see it and i i sometimes wonder and i don't mean this in like any arrogant way or anything like this 
if I wake up at night and I can't sleep, I know that I can get a sketchbook and I can start thinking and something will happen. So yeah. straight, so I can start, I can do, I can, you know, something will go on. But I thought, if you're not creative, what do you do? I've often <laughs> thought that. I've often thought exactly the same thing. If you wake up at night or if you're walking around at four o'clock in the morning, scratching your head, what yeah. do you do? I, I'm, I, I just don't know how it might be for other people who don't have <laughs> a creative channel. Yeah. And, you know, thankfully that we do, you know. I mean, my partner hasn't. She, um, she's not creative at all and it doesn't it doesn't affect her in the slightest their lives might be a lot easier actually <laughs> probably <laughs> probably yeah because it's, it's, it's like a puzzle we're all trying to sort of um, unravel yeah. isn't it you know yeah and if you're not I mean, maybe about the, the puzzle it makes it a lot easier doesn't it yeah and you know if you're feel, fulfilled in just you know life itself without all the the drive and creation and all of this yeah. and creativity and everything yeah just life might just be easier, and and we're the ones with the <laughs> we're the ones with the difficulty. Going, oh God! <laughs> I mean, I, I I when I go out with um, friends, I was out with my brother-in-law, and we was in Ireland um, just before lockdown, and we were sitting in this proper old Irish bar, and the door handle was well, the door was open, but the the handle was right in front of me, and where people had opened the handle for decades and decades the wood had rubbed down in a certain way on the door you know and I took a photo of this like maybe three or four photos on my phone there's decades of where where men have come in to get their Guinness you know yeah. and that yeah, was it you yeah. know but I saw the history of everyone that had crossed the threshold it's like in in Liverpool there's big sculptures of lions bronze sculptures and the teeth of the lions every mum took their kid to those teeth that said Touch the lion's teeth, put oh, your hand in the lion's mouth. Is it for luck? The teeth of the lion is golden and shiny and the rest yeah. of the lion's brown. <laughs> oh, brilliant. You know, because all the kids have been touching the yeah. teeth. But it, yeah, it's like the um, the trace of people have been there all those years yeah. and the presence of all those people, all those ghosts of people touching things. That's why, I, um, you know, painting and, and when I was a kid, I can remember doing this, walking around the Walker Art Gallery in Liverpool and looking at uh, oil paintings. And then I'd look at the sides of the paintings, you know, and the where the paint was at the very edge of the frame and everything. Um, and there was just like a brush stroke and you could see there, it's like that that's someone's actually been there. Purposely put, yeah. Or, you know, you can see that in the middle of the painting that's a bit more polished or a bit more, yeah, that's yeah. where the narrative faces or whatever. But the side, you see, that's, that's where the real human touch is. Yeah. And that's what I, you know, I love about the, you know, I do like a, a lot of performance work and the, the, the live work and with paint as well. Well, how would you explain what you do, Pauline, to someone that doesn't know your artwork? Oh, um, I mean, I, I do painting in the studio, you know, like the abstract works or there's some more, more, I'd say, narrative works up here, oil on canvas works. But the big um, performance works I've been doing for like, gosh, I don't know, 28 years, nice. started in um, Liverpool. And then I went to a college called Dartington College down in Devon. This is how yeah. I, I ended up in Devon. And I was always painting, but then I got into like performance art. And I really liked the, you know, the, the, the live presence within a work of art. Yeah. So it's, 
you know, the human is there and is a live, breathing, living thing. It's not a dead painting on the wall. Yeah. I yeah. Thought, well, how do I combine this then? So I thought, well, I'll have big canvases on the wall and I'll do a live painting performance. Um, so live painting performances using acrylic or water-based because it get my hair and that'd be the end of it. I can imagine the mess I get into. And, uh, <laughs> you end and, up with a crop. I've got so many funny stories about that. And so, so that was where it came from. The wanting to have the, the, the life force and the living thing with the painting. Yeah. So, and people watching that. And it's also about improvising, being spontaneous, having to be in the moment, absolutely fresh, second by second by second, because nothing was prepared. It was just a big white canvas, his materials, charcoal paint. I'd have um, like this composer I mentioned, Paz Kaplan, he might have done a composition for it or, an, or a soundscape and I'd do some vo vocal work and that was pre-recorded. Nice. And then I would respond to the sounds of the room, you know, so there might be two, 300 people in the room. And so the ambience of that and the, the feeling and the circumstances, and then you get up and you'd, you would respond to that and do this painting not known, not prepared, not planned, not rehearsed, nothing. Um, and it might be a 20 minute work. It might be an hour long work, depending on how long my being with the work and in the moment lasted for. Yeah. I, I knew as soon as if I started thinking too much and being too conscious, I was out. Yeah. Because that meant it wasn't just, I, was, I would start contriving. It wasn't in the moment, yeah. Yeah, it was contrived, wouldn't be contrived. For example, I remember doing one, there used to be a lovely gallery called the Tramshed Gallery, which, no, no, it was at the Tramshed restaurant and it was called the C&B Gallery. The Tramshed yeah. restaurant was a Hicks restaurant. That's it. And it was underneath. It's a cool little gallery down there, isn't it? Right, I don't know if it's still there or not. And um, this was like 2012, 2013, and we did this performance. Uh, the other part of the performance, just before I go, is um, I do this painting and then I'd take my dress off and I'd lie naked in front of the painting and I would invite the audience to come and paint on me wow. which was a couple of comments which were like my flesh is canvas I was within the work and then also my eyes were closed I was trusting and also the responsibility of the work was then given over to the audience yeah you now come in and do something on this and there's a, there's a bit of vulnerability on both points there, isn't there, yeah. for the yeah. for the invited yeah. artists and, and you being your own canvas. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's always interesting watching the playback afterwards. It became like a, a religious ceremony because I'd set up this altar with the painting. Wow. And then this naked woman, like a Madonna and Pieta, is lying on the floor. And then people would come along and they'd be given a paintbrush and they would sort of gently, gingerly sort of quite silently the whole thing and then they just do a brush stroke on my shoulder or whatever and then they step away and hand the paintbrush to somebody else but it was done so carefully and it was it was respectful but it was like the audience uncomfortable to step into the performance space but also they're stepping in and there's a naked woman in front of them and oh don't look at the naked woman oh what do we do with that I mean, this is years ago. Things have changed rapidly, yeah. in a, even in the last few years. You know, I was on uh, Woman's Hour, you know, the BBC programme. Yeah, yeah. And um, 
God, when was that? Like 2010 or something. Uh, and she invited me onto the program and said, well, okay, yeah, but aren't you just doing what happens all the time? Objectifying and, you know, the female form is the sexual object in the art and the painting, you know, yeah. Birth of Venus and everything. And you just didn't, a woman doing it, it's just the same again. And I said, well, no, actually the point of it is I'm actually asking people to see a person or yeah, a human yeah. being or non-gender specific kind yeah, of, yeah. I am lying there as a, a, a being within this artwork, uh, asking you to look at it and respect it um, and not corrupt it, not damage it, put a nice paint mark on it. Uh, because it, it it all came from, I did this whole body of work called um, Atomic Forms and Their Corruptions. And it was based on the poem by Lucretius, Atomic Forms and Their Combinations. And I did a lot of photographic work and then I'd mark the surface of the photograph. So that, yeah. there might be photographs of me in a performance or naked, and then I'd marked the surface with ink or whatever. Um, and I said, because you people brush past you in your life and they might give a bad mark, they might corrupt you, they might leave a taint, a tainted, yeah, yeah. might scratch your surface in a bad way. And you're basically asking, don't do that. You know, yeah. we're all precious. Don't leave a bad mark, respect, precious, everyone, you know. And there was, it was also, I, I did this thing called uh, the corruption of nature disturbs me. So don't corrupt. Yeah. You know, and, and we've all experienced like corruption and whatever, you know, people being horrible to us or was in whatever form, kids in the schoolyard or, you know, people beating you up, whatever it is. Yeah. And then, and then as you get on in your life and you move on, then you've got to unravel it and heal it and get it better. People viewing this performance, um, if, they've, if they've watched and taken in what you're doing and trying to express, then it'll be an unwritten brief that they're following when it comes to painting on you anyway, won't it? Yeah, yeah, because you wouldn't think that you wouldn't want anyone to come in and start stabbing me with a paintbrush. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but I'm sure, you know, if it, those things could happen as well. Yeah. You know, it's crazy. You know, there are crazies out there, aren't they? But, um, the experiences I had were very gentle and very, you know, um, but yeah, it's an, you know, nothing's, nobody's told that that's what's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, nobody, you know, I don't say to people, oh, you come to this performance and you paint on me. I don't tell anyone. It's all sort of improvised. And it's, yeah. You know, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I haven't done one of those for a while. The last one I did with uh, of those was in 2015, actually, and it was on a church altar. So wow. Meryl... Marylebone Church. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it was a really good performance actually. And we had the the soundscape and the voice and everything coming through the church speakers in the church. Yeah. And then, you know, 400 people and they were doing it. And it was really a, a, one of my best, one of my favorite yeah. ones actually. Yeah, nice. And the other one I did that was a really brilliant one, but I, I didn't get naked at the end, was with William Orbit, you know, the DJ and yeah. music. Yeah. And I was working with him and it was like a two hour performance of painting with him DJing. Nice. Oh, wow. The energy on stage, the energy on the performance area was, it was great. It was, it was a big high energy 
you know, separately, sort of different from like a gallery space or anything yeah. like that. But it was a really powerful one that, you know. So, yeah, but there's been all different types, you know. So the same sort of basic remit, but in different locations, different settings. Yeah, you can definitely see that energy on your canvas, can't you, you know? I mean, I've seen, you know, hundreds of um, abstract works and they're, they're obviously all fluid and have movement in them. But yours has got, nigh on almost an action of movement in in them haven't they i think it's about it's about energy isn't it yeah about energy and you can't mimic another person's energy you can't mimic another person's authenticity or mark making yeah the energy can't just be put on a canvas it has to be more or less thrown at at yeah and and if, if you're what you are it's like with all work, what you are is is the work. It's almost inseparable, isn't it? What you yeah. are and what the work is. The work should always be bigger than you. Then. Yeah. So yeah. You're going to make the work bigger than you. And so it, it becomes an entity of its own. Of course. Of course. You know, it's out there. It's on its own. It's an entity of its own. And it's you look, you look up at it. Yeah. You've just been the conduit. You've just made it. But the work is there, you know. You mentioned about going into galleries when you was a child. Was there a lot of art in the home? No, 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 not at all. My mum and dad, they're lovely, but, you know, they're both dead now, but they met in um, a factory, basically. And, oh, no, not a factory. Little Woods Pools. You know, Little Woods Pools? And they were, like, 16 and 17. They're both working at Little Woods Pools. And so, you know, my dad was working in uh, a factory, Cadbury Sweps, that was in Liverpool. And my mum, you know, after a couple of kids was a housewife, but she looked after the street. She cooked dinner for everyone. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? All the old ladies on their own, she'd be cooking dinner and putting a newspaper over them and taking it down to Mrs. Moss down the road kind of thing. Uh, so she was one of those, um, looked after everybody. She was Irish origin, my grandfather was Irish. and. Um, but the one thing I do remember with my mother is she'd have a biro pen and she taught me how to, just on a little piece of note paper, she would draw faces and ladies with curly hair yeah, yeah, yeah. faces. And I can remember just copying it. Just sparking you know, your interest, yeah. Copying it and copying it and copying it. And then, so, yeah, exactly. And then, you know, seeing something, she would, like, buy me some, like, crayons and then seeing yeah. something else for Christmas. She said, And then, so when I was 12, she bought me an oil set. You know the paint by numbers? Yeah, yeah. The oil set paint by numbers was my Christmas present. And Brilliant. it was... Um, <laughs> I can remember. In fact, I was probably younger. I was probably nine or ten. Um it was a scene of, um, you know, fox hunting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Red jackets and dogs yeah. and stuff. You know, everything I'm opposed to. <laughs> I can remember, like, painting the blue sky with this oil paint and everything. And it was really a precious thing, you know, yeah. just like a little picture like this. Um, so, yeah, she started that. And then, but, you know, I went to a comprehensive school in Liverpool. But yeah. Whereabouts that, in Liverpool were you growing up? I know roughly. Walton, not about oh, well, um, yeah, I know. Walton. Yeah, 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 half a mile, quarter of a mile from Walton Jail. Yeah. Here's the funny thing: the primary school I went to, the primary school playground, there was a wall that backed onto the Walton Jail's exercise yard. Wow! Right, and there was just a wall. This is Victorian England yeah, yeah. You know, when they build things like that. And I can remember being a kid, like five, six years old. It was infants in primary, 
and looking up the wall and there was blokes leaning over the wall watching us because the, the, the prisoners, yeah, they yeah, climbed up yeah. the wall and were just looking over and just <laughs> being curious. They can't do that now because they've got these big of white masks yeah. on like that. Yeah. But I can remember, uh, you know, walking to school and, um, you know, we'd, we'd have to be walking past, we were going the opposite way. Yeah. Of wardens going into the jail and we'd be walking past them. So, yeah, that's, that's where I grew up. It's always an interesting place, though. You know, plots of little interesting nooks and crannies. And yeah, all. I, I like Liverpool a lot. I was, that's where I was going to Liverpool the day I got arrested. I was going to meet friends in Liverpool. Yeah. And um, I was asked to divert to Birmingham on the way. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I always have quite an affiliation to artists that come from a, a working class background because the arts isn't somewhere that we were directed to. I mean, for, for boys, it was always sort of like sports and mm. and building work you know that's mm. where we were pushed in towards and you know obviously I can't speak for girls because I didn't have that growing up domestic but science <laughs> exactly I remember I remember at school there was fucking typing class for the girls could you imagine yeah, having yeah, that yeah. now yeah you know, yeah you know, the typewriters chattering away Stephen Burkhoff you know the actor Stephen yeah, Burkhoff yeah. said give me a working class artist anytime because they, they're raw they've got yeah, and yeah. and also you know, I know people go, oh, no, violins. It's not even that. It's just like, if you, you know, whereabouts on the ladder do you come in on? Yeah. So, and, um, you know, the journey might have been longer to get to the same place where people just start out on that ladder. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know, we've just been through the whole spectrum. Haven't we? I think yeah. we can move through the spectrum from you know, rock bottom all the way up. And as an artist, you can move like that and you can go all the way up. Um, I think it's easier to do that and to be able to travel through that spectrum than go it from the, the opposite way coming down. Yeah. I know? mean, I don't feel like I can travel into the upper echelons. I feel like I have to sort of um, infiltrate it. <laughs> That's yeah. the way I feel. Yeah. 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 Well, Lucy well, Freud did in a way. Well, you know, I know he had his, the Freud family and everything, but, you know, he got himself into like society and everything like that yeah. and uh i think an artist everyone is more forgiving more forgiving is that the right thing accepting i i can whatever, definitely feel that wherever you you know whatever um sphere whatever yeah because i am the art world with a huge chip on my shoulder being ex-prisoner working class and you know I've, I've still got a little bit of a chip on there but it's um definitely it's nowhere, that one there. <laughs> it's definitely nowhere near as big as it used to be. When did yeah. you realise you wanted to be an artist? So uh, um um I think I think I'd always you know want I just I think what was happening I was finding my safe place as a kid or teenager and on in school I was finding my safe place hiding and drawing. Yeah. You know. Um, it was a safe place hiding away from the sort of chaos that was going around in the house you know people shouting all the rest of it you know what we grew up like and um, so you'd find your quiet safe corner and you could do your stuff so I suppose you wanted to keep that going the idea of being an artist well I suppose school and that they'd say oh no you grab a career we're gonna grab a career yeah. so I hadn't thought of the word artist but I could draw and everything so I was being directed towards Liverpool Foundation course so I went to Liverpool Foundation course and then they were directing me to like um 
a graphics course. And I was sort of looking into this other room where uh, a great artist, a man called Sam Walsh, who died years ago, and he had people doing life drawing. And I was like, I want to do that. You know, yeah. they they were they were the posh kids doing life drawing. They were given the sort of, <laughs> you're going to be the fine artist. Yeah. You're going to do graphics. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I was like, yeah, but I want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> so it was a bit like that. And um, I, I ended up, I mean, I did get a, an A-levels, a, a couple of A-levels, and I did this foundation course. And I did end up at what was then Manchester Polytechnic. Um, and I, I was like going, okay, and heading towards uh, advertising art direction, trying to understand what that was all about. And I, I was really into it actually. And then I went down to London, my trip stayed to London doing student placements. And I actually had a student placement at Saatchi and Saatchi. Oh, wow, okay. <laughs> I was 20 years old, 19, 20 years old. And I was terrified, you know, I was staying with some friends or whatever I was doing. And I was, you know, this little kid from North Liverpool and there's all these fellas. I was going, oh, <laughs> I don't know what to do. And they all knew how to behave. And those other girls who, and blokes who, you know, they, they grew up in Liverpool, in London and, you know, they knew how to behave. I didn't, yeah. I didn't know how to manage it. And so I, I stuck it out for a year doing student placements and trying and stuff. And then I ran back to Liverpool and got a job in the Everyman Bistro in the theatre there, you know. <laughs> and my mum and dad's like, oh, is that it? And I was like, yeah, yeah I can't <laughs> yeah. So I, I actually stayed in Liverpool then. And, and then I, uh, yeah, I was doing work in like bars and restaurants, but I was always painting. And then I, I realised I was sort of hand, handicapped with a shyness. So I decided to put myself into like the Everyman Youth Theatre, it was called. And there was people like Jerry Potter and all that and, and uh, a wonderful woman called Glenn Walford and Mickey Davis, I think his name was. And they, um, it was like a, a youth theatre. So I threw myself into it to try and get over. I thought, well, expose yourself, you know, to get over the shyness, put yourself on the front line. So I started doing bits of acting work. Wow. And then the next thing I got work in like Coronation Street. You said it was young. I got a speaking part in Coronation Street. So I got little parts in television programs. And then I got any, and then things, and then. Did the scarce you know, accent stand out or did you have to tune it towards? I know that they wanted that. Things. Yeah, they wanted that. And then, uh, you know, but then I was sort of, and then it was a, this girl I knew said, look, you're all over the place, basically. You're still painting, you're doing a bit of work, you're doing a bit of acting work. You I, 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 you know, I was doing this, that and the other. She said, why didn't you go back to college? And I was like, ooh, ooh. So she mentioned this college called Dartington and I just came down to Dartington with a portfolio and told them what I'd done. And they, they gave me a place and they gave me a bursary and everything. And I was like, wow. So I came down to Totnes and started a master's down here, which was, the best thing you know because that it was a dartington i could start understanding about the art world make being an artist and meeting artists and then refining one's practice and re really starting to investigate then you know and you know that's that was do you think it was the freedom point. of being in there I'm, I'm, I'm about to say country because I'm, I'm just presuming but being away from the city life of liverpool manchester or london having a bit more, bit of a less speeded life. Do you reckon that made you reflect on, 
on different avenues? I think, yeah, I think that, and, and also I'd never lived in any place like this before. I mean, I could go down the beach and swim in the sea. I'd never, you know, I could walk out at night and I was like yeah. walking along country lanes at one o'clock in the morning, looking at full moon going, oh God, this is amazing. Yeah. You know, it was just, it was transcend, transcend, no, transcendental, that's not the right word, <laughs> transformative. And, um, and so, yeah, it was just a big, life-changing experience coming to Dartington and the whole thing and and then that started me on the journey or the journey or you know that started the work and that started the whole thing yeah well what piece that you've created has got the biggest emotional connection do you think emotional connection I think yeah hang on wait a minute there's there's two ways of looking at like I've done I've done like paintings and, you know, since my mum and dad died, after my dad died, I did a lot of what I call coffin paintings. Um, And I did huge amount of these paintings from a bird's eye view of people looking down into coffins. You know, you're looking at people's tops of people's heads and you're looking down into the coffin because, you know, you have to go and look into the coffin. And my auntie died six weeks later and I had to go and look into another coffin. And then my boyfriend at the time Steve his sister died and they had to go look into another coffin and I'm like oh yeah, and the Irish do sort of embrace the looking into a coffin don't yeah. they <laughs> well it, 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 you have to because it's about grief and closure and you yeah, have to yeah, see yeah. that dead person away for you to go okay it's done yeah. you know what I mean as horrendous as it is you kind of need to do it as part of the the grieving side of things so so they are very emotional uh because of what they are relating to and the time they're relating to and people have died and everything. But another thing I would say, one of the biggest paintings that I'm so proud of and emotionally proud of was from Italy. And I was in a gallery actually thinking about it right now. I'm actually getting emotional about it. I can feel it because it was such a huge piece of work. And it was in 2003 and I was in Rome and I did a 24 hour durational performance. Yeah. And I was painting nonstop for 24 hours and you know, canvases everywhere. And I did this one particular work that is like 12 foot by 10 foot. And it's still, I would say, the best painting I've ever done. Um, and it's like when you are so tired, you're in like the 19th, 20th hour, there's no contrivance anymore. There's no ego anymore. There's no time for that ego. The ego is so exhausted, it's gone away. Yeah, you become an empty. At that point, the work is happening. You've yeah. got, you're not controlling. Whatever's coming through you is coming through you. And it was this really big painting that happened. And then that painting went into, because I, I did the MA and I continued on the college, continue, let me continue on to do a PhD. And that painting was in the exhibition when I was going for my Viva and finishing the PhD. And I can't remember his name, which is really bad of me. It was the man who ran Bath University Fine Art. And he said, I'm going to give you this PhD because of that painting. Oh, wow. I know. I mean, I still, you know, there's still a huge amount of writing and the Viva and the, just the whole thing. But I knew and he and I still think of that painting and go, God, where did that come from? You know? Yeah. And, you know, I should be doing those every day. I'd probably be dead because I wouldn't have slept. <laughs> no, you, I, I, 
I think that works like that, you only do a couple of those in your career and they are just pinnacles of the, of the, the place you're in at the moment. And then you move on to another place and do another seminal work, you know, at, at, at that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good thing. Yeah, it comes in peaks, doesn't it? You know, you might be going along for a while and then there's another quantum leap and yeah. there it is. And then you go on to that level and then there's another quantum leap. You know, it's all, it's all as one evolves, the work evolves. Because I'd, I'd heard about that, you know, quite some time ago and I'd, I'd not seen your work in person until we were both in the Fulham Town Hall show um, earlier on this year. That was very different. That was... <clears throat> that was um, I'd worked with MC, you know, she, yeah. she, she was there uh, and she, um, it was very necessary and interesting uh, combination, collaboration we did. We'd worked together before, but we'd never collaborated together on the same canvas. Yeah. And this was when the last lockdown was announced, was it about March? And she was in London on her own and I was here and I, she was just like, oh God. And I said, look, come here and we'll work. Not sure what we're going to do, but you're just going to come here and we're going to do some work. And we create, devised this very interesting process. We had these huge canvases and we timed it. So you could only work on the canvas for 30 seconds. Then you had to move to the next one. And then you had to move to the next one. And you had a restricted palette, restricted time, restricted process all the way through. And so you realize that number one, you had to move quick, but number two, you weren't just going to splish splosh because you had to stay within a contained brief, yeah, and a contained space within on the on the canvas, and this these really unexpected but really interesting paintings developed, and so from that I put together a book and a catalogue, and we each wrote an essay, excellent, wrote about the paintings, and we did this, and it was called um, Tempest Fugit, Time Flies, because even though we're in this lockdown and we were like, oh God, lockdown again. Oh God, lockdown again. But also the time, you know, the one, the last year, where's that gone? Exactly. Yeah. But then also when we were working on the canvas, we had like 30 seconds, you had to work quick and the time was flying. You had to move, you had to, time was flying. So we came up with this and then I called the book Collaborative Art During a Pandemic. Um, And it was, became a really significant works for us and a time and this book um yeah i you know we need we'll do something more with it again but it was a time in life you know it was a, the pandemic time and this is this marks it you know that was the marking point for it well it was a very slow point in our lives wasn't it and yeah. seeing the work that used to had produced it was contrary to that you know it was it was very fast and rapid yeah, yeah, yeah. It was uh, so funny. I love that that work you did. If you're looking through the door and you can see the bunk bed, yeah. and you know, yeah, it's really strong. The thing is, what was a cross about was that later I realised I had seen you, but I hadn't realised who you were. Oh, you know, I think know. I said hello to you, but I didn't know you were responsible for that work, and I was I would have spoken to you, but I didn't know it was yours. I think I was stood by and I saw you looking through. I think we were, I was showing people, I was showing people around, wasn't I? Yeah. But anyway, here we are talking now. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've wanted to speak to you quite a while. How do you relax, Pauline? Um, well, 
I go for walks and I've got two dogs and uh, they, well, I'm not relaxed with these dogs, the staffies, the rescue staffies. They're oh, not relaxed at all. You know, they keep me on my toes. Um, and how do I relax? A nice glass of red wine, reading the books. I'm always reading. You know, sometimes a film. I'm not really a television person. Um, music, but actually, do you know what? The relaxed thing for me is if I'm in my studio with a bottle of wine uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I've got music on and I'm painting. Yeah. I mean, what is better than that? I love that. You know, I used to, I've got this studio now and I'm so grateful for this studio. It's wonderful. But I did live in a little house for years and I had a garage and in the middle of winter, I'd have a coat on, I'd be working in the garage, um, but I have music on. Friends would come round. I had a battered sofa in the corner and it was brilliant. You know, yeah. it was great. I'd love to recreate that again because you were working and this, it, again, well, I suppose it's like the live performance painting. There's people there milling around, music, drinking, duh, 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 and I was there painting. And that was a really good time as well. It was like, um, I wasn't distracted from any of that. I was still working but it was just felt great to feel all of these people and yeah. life around. You obviously do draw off of energy, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. And create energy and you, you know, you want, you know, make things happen and yeah. have about, you know, maybe I should just do that. Maybe I'll do that. Is and there artists near, near you where you're living? There are plenty of artists around Devon, but you know, the, and I know artists around Devon, majority of them are going to be uh, seascapes. You know, yeah. they're not going to be um, avant-garde performance. No. It, it, my, the people I know, especially my friends who are new from Dartington are dotted all over the country or all over. Where the is West. Dartington on the map? I don't, I don't know it. Totnes. Yeah, you know, oh, I know Totnes, yeah. It's just, it doesn't exist anymore. It was closed down because it was an independent college and it was quite a maverick college, avant-garde stuff. And it was a brilliant, but you know, it taught a mindset. It taught a really strong mindset. And so like you talk to artists who went through, um, or people who went through Dartington, musicians, dancers, the Dartington mindset, like there are no mistakes. You know, you just keep going through, you keep yeah. marching. Um, and it, yeah, a lot of brilliant people have gone through those doors. It's a, it was a brilliant, brilliant college. And many, many people have gone on to, to you know, shake the world. Yeah, brilliant. Have an impact on the world. Um, feel well, a lot of those smaller art schools do get sort of sucked into a, the local university, don't they? Well, what happened is Dartington then we shut down and the department moved to the University of Falmouth. Yeah. Then they shut that down yeah. and they just got rid of Dartington. I think Dartington was just maybe uh, um, maybe an extreme place that they were just trying to get rid of. You know, yeah. you yeah. don't want you to think like that. You're not thinking the way we want you to think. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But you get those big ideas. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> we don't like independence. Yeah, you know, how dare you? So, you know, you've got to think in this, you know, streamlined, jump through the academic hoop that way, yeah. not going all over this way. Uh, I don't know, I might get a load of hate mail off those tomorrow. <laughs> 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 Sorry. <laughs> um, but, you know, this is like a long time ago. I finished my PhD at Dartington in 2004, you know, things oh, have okay. 
changed a long time ago. Yeah. Things change rapidly, don't they? I don't, I don't know what the art colleges are like these days. You know, I, I don't know. Um, but yes. Well, there's so, skin, I think, at the moment. That's about think, it. Yeah. But Gary, when you were um, in prison, how or who was it in prison who influenced you? Or where did that all start? How did it, how did you get your notebook started? Well, there was a great teacher called Dougie Spooner, because I was doing an art course. So he would set a, a project for me and it would just be draw this. And, and I had no experience before. But funnily enough, the first portrait I had to draw was Stephen Burkhoff. And wow. you mentioned him earlier. Yeah, yeah. And I'd obviously never drawn anything. And I was trying to draw this portrait, but I had no understanding of how to do it. And he yeah. showed me several different um, techniques. None of them were working. And then the last one, it just sort of clicked, you know. Yeah. And then I thought, oh, I've actually found something I'm good at. And then when I showed him the finished portrait and it looked like him, his, um, the, the look in his eyes of gratitude and pride that someone, because mo most of the lads in there were taking the piss out of him and was just sort of doing what everyone always done in an art class at school, you know, but a few yeah. of us wanted to learn. And when he saw um, my portrait of Stephen Burkhoff, I could I, I could see a bit of pride in his eyes, and it was it was that that I wanted to feed off because I was in a very negative environment. I wanted to change anyway, and just seeing that it was just like I don't know, just like making your dad proud, you know that that sort of thing. You know, you want to feed off a bit, and then a tutor brought in a um, the sensations catalog one time, and it was the artwork that I just used to push away that conceptual stuff because I wanted to learn to draw, paint and sculpt um, in the classical or traditional sense. Um, and they were showing me work from the Saatchi collection that I could do, you know, cut a sheep in half and build a tent is all I saw. Um, and then when I, there was a certain artwork in there um, by Mona Hatoum called No Way 2, and it was a colander with nuts and bolts in it. Um, stop me if you've heard any of this story before. And um, the tutor said that, that that was probably worth several thousand pounds. And I was like, it's a fucking colander and nuts and bolts. You know, it's a trip to B&Q and a tenner. And, um, and then she said, well, rather than just slagging off all the artwork, take the catalogue back, have a read of it. Mm. And then once you've read the text in there and the reasons why they've made the artwork, slag it off by all means, you know. And um, the colander in question, when I read it, it was, a, uh, it was that Mona Atum, but she'd come to the UK to study. Regime change at home. Educated woman wasn't welcome back home, you know. She was saying that the upturned colander with the nuts and bolts in the holes represented a, a dome or barrier over her homeland. And the nuts and bolts were the entrances and exits that were now blocked. Mm -hmm. And because of my environment, that sort of resonated with me, you know. Yeah. And um, I thought, well, I, I, I genuinely fell in love with conceptual art that night. The next morning, I wanted to be a conceptual artist because then, then that sort of unlocked the key in the conceptual art padlock that I had inside, you know. And it made me understand slightly how to look at this new lot of artwork that I've just discovered.
yeah. like the bed, the Myra Hindley, the, the animals cut in half, you know, everything that was in that. I didn't quite understand it, but now I wanted to understand it, you know. Yeah. And yeah. Um, so I decided to write to all the artists that was in that catalogue. And it was like Sarah Lucas, Tracy Emin, Gary Hume, all of those, you know, massive names. And uh, I figured if I write to all of them, which ended up being 32 letters that I sent out, I figured one of them just may have a bit of compassion or curiosity from this prisoner. You know, or one of them may reply. And um, it was at a time, when, again, like I say, that I wanted to come away from crime into something else. And then I, I got a letter a couple of days, a few days later, a week or so later from um, Sarah Lucas and her partner at the time, Angus Fairhurst, um, with a load of catalogues and, you know, books and stuff. And then it was Gavin Turk. And then bang, bang, 28 out of 32, Pauline replied. God, that is brilliant. Oh, it's fucking my amazing, God. isn't it? Isn't that incredible? Every time I tell that story, I go goosey. I know, but I just did. I just it, did. Honestly, it, it just showed me how accepting yeah. this new world was. And, and yeah. I can't remember who was saying it, but when I was replying and saying thank you for, for, for their catalogues and time and, you know, what have you, I've, I'm getting replies from some of those artists who are now sort of you know world yeah. world esteemed artist and they're saying like you know we need people like you in the art world yeah yeah, they, yeah at the time they were changing the art world yeah and they yeah. said like you know you are more than welcome in this world you know we, you're welcome with open arms sort of thing yeah so that's how it I automatically changed and, and it was that quick pulling that yeah. I refer to myself as a born again artist uh. Because it was it was that quick, you know. I I literally saw the light and wanted a yeah. wanted a change. Fantastic. And, yeah, that, that was it. So these artists, the likes of whom I just mentioned, were yeah. just saying, "Go for a degree." You you yeah. know, we done it. We we're, we're working class. Yeah. You know, yeah. although they was into art for forever, you know, yeah, they're saying, yeah. "Go for it, go for it." And then every now and then, might only be Christmas or something like that, or when they've had an exhibition, I'd get a parcel. Um, out the blue you know it's, I've just had a show I thought I'd send you the catalogue um, how you're going you know let me know what you're up to and you know and they're sort of pushing me in the direction of a degree which I started just before I left. Wow so, so and where where did you do your degree or how did that work? It was, I applied to the University of East London yeah um, I had a year out first so that I could go and get a job yeah this is while I was in prison um, and well, it was about six months I was working, so I could build up a bit of funds for when I did leave. Yeah. So I wasn't coming out as a poor student stroke ex-prisoner, you know. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think it was about three weeks before I left um, prison, I started my degree. Brilliant. Isn't that great? Oh. It's and just it, a marvellous thing, isn't it? When, when, you know, it just takes one person to flick the switch, yeah. doesn't it? To switch the light on for you. you can well, just I'd always said that I, my vision of a an artist was a middle class white man with a you know great education that sounded yeah. that spoke like a poet. Yeah, and none yeah. of that was me. Yeah, you know, it, it was these people from from the aristocracy. It was wrong what I was thinking, but that's that's the vision that I had. Yeah, yeah, same. I know, you know, not for the likes of you, girl. You know, yeah, yeah. isn't it interesting? But yeah, but art isn't like that. It's just if you're there, you're there. No, so. and that's why I try. That's why I go back into prisons now or work with 
um, young people, the homeless, people with mental health issues, and just yeah. so like the, the the life of an artist, the the, it, the money side of it irrelevant, but being an artist, being a creative, it just fucking enriches you like you wouldn't that, believe. That's you what I'm saying. Could not buy that mindset. Yeah, that's what I was saying earlier, wasn't it? It's what you earn. It's not just earning in pounds, shillings and pence. There's so much more yeah. enriched in your life and everything, isn't it? You know, And you're not walking around at four o'clock in the morning scratching your head. Yeah, it's that creative mind. <laughs> yeah. But speaking of different artists, Pauline, if there was you and five other artists, past and present, what would your ideal group show be? Me and, well, it has to be a Leonardo da Vinci because, you know, and... Um, then it would be a Francis Bacon. Then it would be Josep Valrobera, who you will not have heard of, but I, I've worked I with Josep. He's Spanish Catalan. He's about 86 now. And I've done exhibitions with Josep and done a lot of work with Josep over like 20 years over in Spain and Ibiza. And um, how many is that? Was that three? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Lee, is it Lee Krasner? Big abstract paintings. And then, um, I don't know, something a bit more unusual, avant-garde. I'd just say I'd have to do something a bit more like a Duchamp. Perfect. So we've got kind of nearly all areas covered there. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it'd be the same for everyone, isn't there? Who yeah. walking off the street there. <laughs> You're hedging your, hedging your bets. Yeah. <laughs> Covering all areas. Um, yeah, I think that'd be it. Yeah. And how about, Paul, if you wasn't an artist, what would you like to be? Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> oh, I wish I'd been a singer in a rock band. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> who, who doesn't want to be a singer in a rock band? Yeah, of course, with a motorbike and a guitar. And I did, have, you know, when I was in Liverpool, I did have a band for a bit and I did have a motorbike and I did have a guitar and um, I was singing for a bit, but I just, I didn't continue that. And what sort of music was it? Was it rock? Yeah, it was rocky music, you know, you know rock music with a kind of going for a Pink Floyd way. Oh, nothing wrong with that. Yeah. <laughs> nothing wrong with that. So, yeah, because, you know, I, I, music side of things is big being important for us all isn't it uh, yeah. but um yeah i think again it's that it's the performance isn't it it's the performance the live music the live thing but then I, you know the live work the performance work but i do like the the mark on the canvas and the painting yeah. you know sort of this combination so you yeah. make your own album covers that's it well i've done albums <laughs> oh yeah I've, yeah but with this this composer paz um, we've had two vinyls out, is it? One or two vinyls. I'll send you one if you want. And, oh, please uh, do. Yeah, and it was uh, the, the, the sound, the soundtracks that had been used when we'd done performance works, you know. Um, so, yeah, we've, we've done an album. <laughs> Excellent. Good. Well, yeah. that preempted that answer, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything you've got coming up at the moment? I know it's a bit of a a funny old time at present but have you got anything in the pipeline well just making work here continues um with mc we've been discussing that work that you saw in top fulham town hall taking that over to berlin Brilliant. but that won't be till, not, nothing's going to happen now until next year yeah uh next year i'll be going over to ibiza probably not until about june with 
uh, Giuseppe, who I mentioned, will do something over in Ibiza or something. And then, um, I don't know, things just will turn up. Yeah. I'm not, uh, I haven't got like a big sort of something planned in yeah. October or next year or anything like that. Uh, what I'm kind of like in the idea of is setting up just like a, a studio space somewhere in London, maybe, where, yeah, it's like a mix of a bar and a studio and a gallery. Sounds good. <laughs> Why not? Yeah, sounds good. Music. You can't go wrong with that, can you? <laughs> no, nothing whatsoever. <laughs> well, that's all my questions asked, Pauline. So I'll just say thank you very much for, for your time. It's been thank very you. much it's appreciated. Great. I've loved speaking to you and I've wanted to do so for quite some time. Yeah, it's, we got there eventually. It was a pleasure. I can't believe that's been over an hour. We've been talking non-stop. Oh, well, you know. I was actually thinking, what are we going to say for an half oh, an hour? Oh, man, honestly, if you've listened to any of my podcasts, I can keep rabbiting till the fucking cows come home, you know. <laughs> it's good, though. It's really enjoyable, that, Gary. Thank you so much. Good. I've enjoyed um, it. And, and what are you up to this evening? Well, I'm just here. It's absolutely lashing down outside. It's dark and it's lashing down. I'm just here in the studio. I've got to get something to eat. And then I'm just here. I'll put some music on. Perfect. And yeah, I'm just in here. Well, hope you enjoyed that episode of the Ministry of Arts podcast. If you're unable to support us on Patreon, leaving a review on whichever platform you listen to this podcast really does help us get noticed and anyone else looking for an art podcast or even giving us a positive shout out on your social media. Anything is appreciated, but either way, thanks for listening. And until next week, sad art. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. 
For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.